Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we are going to talk all about AIS. And if you don't know what AIS stands for, stay with us because we're going to be going through it from beginning to end. Robert Rice is back with us as our guest, and he's going to be sharing his knowledge on that topic. Before we bring Robert in, as always, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Great Loop Yacht Sales, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And at this point, I would like to go ahead and welcome back Robert Rice. Robert, thanks for being here again. Oh, happy to be here. I uh, uh, always like to talk about boating safety and boating, ed boating education topics. So uh, yeah, glad for to be those, here. For those who are not regular listeners and maybe have not heard you on the Great Loop Radio podcast before, go ahead and just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your boating. And we know that you teach classes for the Coast Guard Auxiliary and do a lot with boating education. So go ahead and fill us in on that. Sure. So uh, I've been boating now for, I don't know, 20 years or so. It's all my daughter's fault. She got me involved in a sailing program through Girl Scouts. And um, uh, so I ended up teaching sailing and boating, uh, uh, operating small boats like uh, Boston Whalers. For them, uh, I ended up with sailing instructor qualifications from the American Sailing Association. Uh, I teach sailing for that Girl Scout sailing program, both on small boats like a sunfish and large keel boats. So it's your typical large sailboat. And then uh, I'm a boating safety instructor for the Coast Guard Auxiliary. The Auxiliary is the Coast Guard's, uh, a uniquely Coast Guard thing. It's the Coast Guard's unpaid all-volunteer component. And uh, one of the missions delegated to the Auxiliary by the Commandant of the Coast Guard is uh, recreational boater safety education uh, outreach. And so I teach boater safety classes uh, through the Coast Guard Auxiliary and I'm also a qualified instructor for that through uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife, our state regulatory agency here in Texas. Yeah, and we, you have been a frequent guest here, and we thank you for sharing all of that great information with us. Sure. Um, this may not be new from the last time we spoke to you, uh, but the screenshot behind you, the background, is a new shot. Um, and I think the last time uh, we talked to boat. you... Yeah, 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 I just finished bringing her home. So, um, and we can see the white bergie there. So, for those right. of you who don't know, Rob is an aspiring, uh, will be in progress on the loop <laughs> soon. Uh, but go ahead and tell us about your boat. So, the boat's a uh, Endeavor Power Catamaran, uh, and Endeavor Power Cats are a small but uh, steady component of uh, looper boats. They're lovely boats, uh, because it's a power cat, it's nice and beamy and wide all the way through has a fabulous master stateroom, an enormously a gigantic shower in the master head, uh, lovely uh, salon and galley space. Uh, it, it's just a wonderful boat. So um, the screenshot behind me is the boat at Bobby's Fish Camp on our trip uh, southward in the river system to get her from uh, where we bought her, which was just north of St. Louis, and then over the spring and several hops um first with the assistance of a hired captain and then with my two sons at different points uh we brought the boat uh from north of st louis all the way down finally to the galveston bay area and uh, where she's now in her home slip 
Yeah. And what are your plans at this point on when you might take her out on the Great Loop? That's, uh, you know, it's a complicated question. So <laughs> I, I think the likely thing is we'll be doing local cruising for a while, a year or two or three, and uh, we'll just kind of see how it all plays out. Um, yeah. You know, the youngest kids in college. And uh, so it's sort of a question of when we go there. We have two enormous dogs, two big German shepherds and uh that's kind of a daunting thing <laughs> uh, even a large boat with two uh you know two dogs each 80 pounds each is a little bit uh of a challenge yeah so, we so have, luckily we have to figure out how to be boat dogs uh, that's yeah. uh, well luckily you've got on. lots of uh lots of great local cruising to do there in mm -hmm. galveston bay so we that do. is a bonus so let's jump into the topic we're talking about okay. ais today so first of all let's you know talk about what is it for those who don't know? And let's give us a basic overview of okay. AIS. So AIS is an acronym that stands for Automatic Identification System. It's part of a worldwide standard uh, through two separate standards bodies that relate to marine communications. Um, so it's, it's a standard thing that's used worldwide by commercial vessels. Uh, and it was a thing that was created primarily, I mean, initially created to benefit commercial mariners uh, and the, the idea is that the AIS system improves your situational awareness of vessels around you. Um, it is something that recreational boaters can use, but are not required to. So the basic idea behind AIS is you have this typically sort of a black box device on your boat. It's connected to 12 volt power, uh, a radio antenna and to your chart plotter, typically through one of the uh, marine networks. The usual one these days is called NEMA 2K or NEMA NMEA 2000. And that's sort of like uh, computer networking for computers and printers, but it's uh, specific to marine electronics. It's a standard networking system for marine electronics. And so you plug the device into power, a radio antenna, and your boat's electronics network. And what you get is data that comes that is received from the AIS device, then shows up on your chart plotter. Your device sends out information. And the kinds of information that are exchanged in AIS uh, is sort of navigational information. So what you get is uh, the device sends out a data burst. Think of it as like a little tiny text message that goes out every once in a while. Uh, and it has information about the vessel's course, speed, uh, range, uh, MMSI number, uh, and uh, importantly for our purposes, the vessel's name, um, and a few other things. Commercial vessels have more information in their AIS transmission. Recreational boaters, uh, their transmissions will have a little bit less, but the same basic stuff. That then shows up on your chart plotter. And Kim, if you'll put up on the screen, we're going to put up a screenshot for those of you just listening in audio. Uh, picture this in your mind. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can take a quick look at a screenshot showing how this sort of looks on a typical chart plotter. This is actually from uh, navigational software I run on a Windows laptop. But in the upper left corner, there's a bright green icon for my boat. I'm tied up at the Kaskaskia lock wall. Um, and it's inside a blue circle <clears throat> that is, I think, a half-mile range ring. And if you look down to the lower right-hand corner of the screen, you can see a blue triangle, which is an icon for a commercial vessel that's transmitting AIS. And I can look down there and see that the name of that tug 
is the Kelly Lee. It's headed uh, basically southward uh, away from me and well out of the mouth of that Kaskaskia uh, River and clipping along at 8.8 .8 knots. Uh, I was looking at the AIS that morning because it was extremely foggy. Uh, and we were asking ourselves the question, okay, when we get ready to come off the uh, lock wall at Kaskaskia, is it going to be safe to go out into the main body of the river? And so we were watching this tug move along past us before we cast off and uh, drop down into the main body of the river. But th that's the idea. It shows you information graphically on your chart plotter through little boat icons. Uh, for the commercial vessels around you that are sending out AIS data so that you can look down at your chart plotter and see where those commercial vessels are, which way they're going, whether they're coming towards you or away from you, crossing, meeting, passing. Um, and then when you get ready uh, to call them, uh, typically what you do is press and hold on that other vessel's boat icon and it pop pops up a little box that gives you the detailed information like the vessel name. Now, this so, is something, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, um, a question I get a lot about AIS is, is, you know, is it a replacement for radar or how does it differ from radar? Because it's some of the same circumstances that you mentioned that you would right. be wanting radar. So, uh, not the same thing as radar. I don't think it's a replacement for radar. I think the two things work together quite nicely. They do sort of different things. Uh, in some ways, I think AIS is easier to use, but, but you have to be mindful that uh, AIS uh, does slightly different things than radar. So a your AIS receiver is going to pick up those data bursts from surrounding commercial vessels that are sending out uh, AIS information. But of course, you're only going to get this information if the vessels uh, from the vessels around you that have AIS, have it turned on. Uh, and are using it so that you can then see that data. Pretty much all larger commercial vessels are going to have AIS. There's actually a U.S. Uh, regulation on that uh, that requires commercial vessels over 65 feet in length to carry AIS. Uh, a large passenger vessel, large in my thoughts, uh, certificated to carry more than 150 passengers is required to have AIS. Dredges that are in or near commercial waterways have to have AIS. And then vessels uh, carrying dangerous cargo have to have AIS. Uh, there are some fishing vessels that are required to have AIS, although in my experience, going past sort of mom and pop shrimpers, my experience was if they have it, they never have it turned on. Like never. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's some other smaller passenger vessels um, under 150 passengers that still have to have AIS as, as well. So the rule is that commercial vessels are required to have it, but not recreational vessels. Now, what you see is you're going to see AIS data coming from vessels that are sending it out. Radar will give you a radar return from anything that's sort of physically out there. Uh, so you, you would be able to see uh, a radar return off of a target that is you know, another looper-sized boat or a small fishing boat, even, even if they don't have AIS. What radar won't do for you, though, is tell you the name of that vessel. The other thing that AIS does pretty neatly that radar cannot do, and that is sort of see around corners. So particularly in the Western Rivers, uh, there are plenty of spots where the river snakes almost in complete figure eights or in very tight U-loops. 
uh, AIS can see around those corners in the sense that that radio signal propagates across the land through the trees, and uh, uh, which would block uh, radar. Uh, you would not be able to see, say, a barge string on the other end of a tight U loop in the river, but you can definitely see it on AIS. That's one of the things I really like about AIS is mm -hmm. this ability to know that a barge string is around the corner in the bend of that loop coming towards you well before you can visually see it. I like being able to plan a few steps ahead and to be able to think through where I want to be when I meet that barge string. Uh, and of course, one of the really great things about AIS is that you can um, use your AIS info to see the name of that tugboat. So you can call the tugboat by name. Right. Uh, which dramatically ups the odds you'll get them to respond. If you just sort of say, you know, tugboat on the other end of the band, this is pleasure craft. They don't know that you're calling them. They don't know that you're calling somebody five miles away. You know, if you call the tugboat by name, you're going to get a response. Yeah. That's, the, that's, that's the real big thing. Yeah. So um, you kind of alluded to the fact you gave us who was required to have AIS recreational vessels are not on that list which not we're going to assume means loopers do not have to carry Correct. AIS not required um you've already given us you know kind of the main reason they would want it and that is because they can then communicate with these commercial vessels by name which gets more attention and is more right. likely you're going to get the right person but you know walk us through any other reasons that loopers would want AIS and you know give us some of the pros and cons there sure so um not all, i think it's not just the ability to see the name of that tugboat pushing a thousand foot string of barges towards you. Although that's huge. It makes your life vastly easier in terms of being able to talk to those uh, tugboat captains and to have an easy conversation with them. And frankly, to know that you're actually talking to the tugboat you think you're talking to. Uh, the other thing I, I think that is really important is the sort of overall situational awareness and this idea of being able to plan ahead for where you want to be uh, when that uh, tug, that string of barges that's coming towards you, where your paths cross, you can think about where you want to position yourself. Do I want to hold short in a wider spot in the river? Do I want to sort of leapfrog ahead a little bit to get to a wider spot? You know, you can think about those things before uh, you ever are visually in sight. Um, I really like the ability to plan ahead for where I'm going to cross paths with a barge string. Uh, and I, that's a separate sort of line of thought from having that conversation with the tugboat captain. Um, and, and it sort of informs that conversation. If I know that that string of barges is around the bend, uh, I can call that tugboat captain and say, okay, I'm, I'm down here, you're up there. You know, let's talk about where we're going to meet and pass. But I, I can do that having looked at the chart and thought about what I think makes sense. Uh, and then I'm prepared to have that conversation with the tugboat captain uh, about where the, the safest place for us to be is uh, to meet is going to be. Uh, that's probably the most important thing. The other thing that's really great about AIS, of course, works on all weather, just like radar does, of course. Uh, so, you know, it's completely useful in the daytime, completely useful at night. Uh, bad weather, uh, any of that, uh, and that ability to see around the bend sort of is is incredibly useful and is the thing that radar cannot do. Uh, the limitation you have to keep in mind always is AIS only shows you um, other AIS equipped vessels. 
So if you are not sending out AIS data, so one of your options for having AIS is to have a receive-only AIS device as opposed to one which both receives and transmits. If you have receive-only AIS, you're seeing the data from AIS-equipped vessels around you, but you're not announcing your presence to them. I, uh, having done my trip home in my boat, I now have a strong opinion that having AIS transmit and receive is a really good thing. I did the first 400 miles or so with AIS receive only before I got around to installing the AIS transponder I had. Um, and I really uh, prefer announcing my presence to those commercial vessels around me. What I found was about once a day, once every other day, a tugboat captain would call me first. Um, and definitely it was frequent occurrence when I talked to a tugboat captain, it was clear he was aware of my presence and had been watching me on his AIS display already. So that when I called him, it was no surprise whatsoever. And that's a good thing. We don't want surprises on the water when we're talking about something like my 40-foot power catamaran meeting a tugboat pushing a thousand feet of barges filled with scrap iron or something. Uh, surprises are a bad thing. Absolutely. And I can give a, a real world example from our trip back up the rivers just a couple of months ago. And I, I may have shared this on this podcast before, but we were coming up to a blind turn and we do have a, a transceiver. So we are both being seen and seeing um, and coming right. up on a blind turn. We were traveling on a, a weekend day, which a lot of loopers try to avoid just because there's additional traffic on the waterway. In this case, it wasn't an additional boat traffic, um, although they had arrived on boat. As we were coming up on this blind turn, you know, to us, we were headed to the port. Um, we could see on our AIS that there was a tow with a set of barges coming from the other direction. And right on the peak of the curve were some swimmers in the water that had kind of beached their boat there and had gotten in the water enough yep. that they were kind of sticking a little bit out, you know, into the waterway. And we were very thankful that because we had AIS, we knew the barge was coming and the tow was coming. They could see our name. We could see their name. We could communicate immediately. And in a situation like that, where you have to make a pretty fast decision on how these two vessels are going to pass, keeping in mind that there are swimmers in the water, it was right. nice to not have to go through the, you know, tow at, uh, you know, mile this, that, and the other thing. This is the pleasure crowd. You know, it was quick. <laughs> It was an efficient communication. The uh, tow captain said, I want you to hang back and move all the way to, to one side, um, right. which we did. But all of that arrangements for that happened much faster than it would have without mm -hmm. AIS. So I'm a huge fan. I've had it right. fortunately for our entire my entire loop. Um, and that was probably the circumstance I was most happy to have it. There certainly are other right. circumstances where it has eased communication, but in that case, it felt like it would have been a pretty dangerous situation without it. So I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and I had a similar kind of experience uh, in the Western rivers. Uh, I think on the Tom Bigby uh, in a spot where the river was uh, snaking in almost a complete figure eight and way off to my left, uh, only about 500 yards as the crow flies but I don't know, a mile and a half or two miles around the loop of the river was a large barge string uh, going upriver and me going downriver. And we were in the middle of a blinding rainstorm. It was a short but brutally intense band of rain. Uh, I already decided this was crazy. And I turned around, went back upriver a little bit to a wider spot. And then I started looking at the AIS and I could see this uh, string of barges coming towards me. So I called it. And we had this conversation. I 
could not see the uh, barge string at this point visually. Uh, I could only see them on AIS. And we had this conversation, and the, and the towboat captain is like, yeah, I just pushed my string of barges up against the bank. This, this rain is crazy. And, and we talked about it, and I finally said, you know, I think it's safer if I just go ahead and come past you now while you're, because I don't know how this is long as it's going to last. I, I think it's going to be safer. I just get past you. And he says, yeah, there's nobody else out. You come now. Bring it on, brother. Bring it on. Uh, and, and that was kind of one of those defining moments for me. It was like, okay, this really makes a big difference yeah, uh, in being aware and knowing. And then I could proceed um, downriver, uh, in, secure in the knowledge that I could see where that barge string was uh, and know that he was still not moving. But I also went into that uh, loop of the river knowing uh what the plan was because i'd already talked to the barge captain uh, of a barge that i had not yet seen visually out the window so, yes, yeah exactly big believer right. big believer yeah all right let's take a quick break and play a message from our sponsors when we come back i want to talk a little bit about the different types of ais and you know perhaps the cost associated with them which sure. for for many of us is still one of the barriers to adding this technology so we'll be back in a moment Schwartz & Company Yacht Sales is a boutique yacht sales organization and a proud supporter of AGLCA, Loopers, and Adventurous Souls throughout the Great Lakes. We are the exclusive representative for American Tug throughout the Great Lakes region, including the Canadian provinces of Ontario and Quebec. We are very active in the yacht brokerage market on both the buy side and sell side, providing our guidance and resources to valued customers. We also work with shipbuilders, both in the U.S. and abroad, to bring our customers' unique dreams to life. We welcome the opportunity to earn your business. Welcome aboard What Yacht to Do. Sam and Rev have completed two loops with videos of each trip on YouTube. Now, their goal is to help you prepare for your trip. Their services include online courses, coaching, training, and boat delivery. You can prepare for the loop from the comfort of your own home with their online introductory courses. You get a digital workbook and a way to interact and ask questions. You'll even receive a certificate of completion. Go now and sign up for our free newsletter at whatyachttodo.com or greatloopacademy.com, and they'll send you some free boating goodies. We're back on the Great Loop Radio podcast. My guest today is Robert Rice. We are talking about AIS. We are both big fans, have it on our boats. Uh, but Robert, there are different types of AIS. And we talked a little bit about the um, transmitting versus receiving, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. So fill us in on yeah, that if you would. Sure. I I think of it as basically four kinds, really. Um, so we'll start with the most expensive, which is class A AIS, and that's designed for commercial vessels. Large commercial vessels are required to use class A AIS. Uh, and that's more expensive, dramatically more expensive than the class B type that I'm going to talk about here in a second. Class A is probably $2,000 at the absolute minimum and up way, way, way up from there. So four to 6,000, not uncommon. Um, there's no advantage to recreational boaters having a class A AIS. There's no reason to spend $2,000. Um, you don't get anything appreciable, uh, dramatically different or better by having class A. So we'll, we're going to set that one aside. Smaller, uh, some smaller uh, commercial vessels um, are authorized to use class B AIS. And class B AIS is a little bit simpler. It does some things slightly differently. It transmits a little bit less 
detailed navigational information, all these kinds that transmit, tra transmit the basic info we're interested in, which is the course, the speed, the MMSI, and the vessel name. So class B and class A all do that. Class B comes in two kinds. Uh, there's a two watt transmitter kind and a five watt transmitter kind. There's some slight differences between these two other than the power version. The two watt kind uses a very simple uh, channel sharing algorithm to decide when to transmit your data burst when the radio channel is busy. The five watt kind uses a more sophisticated way of figuring that out. So you end up transmitting your data a little more often. But the main difference is two watt versus five watt. Uh, both kinds are completely suitable for recreational boaters. Both kinds involve a pretty straightforward installation, 12 volt power, attach it to a radio antenna, attach it to your chart plotter in some way. Um, the two watt kind, uh, around say uh, 600 to $800 would be the right ballpark. Um, the five watt kind is a little more expensive, although there is some overlap, uh, 800 say to 1,000. I have the uh, slightly fancier five watt kind. And if I remember right, uh, I paid about 850 for mine. So pretty close to the upper end of the, the two watt version. The five watt version gives you a little bit further reach in terms of your transmitted signal. Although for marine VHF, the quality of the radio antenna and especially the height of the radio antenna is actually more important probably than it is more important than the power output. But you get a little further uh, transmission distance. Uh, you're gonna hear commercial vessels at a pretty good distance because their antennas tend to be higher up just given the design and structure of the commercial vessels. And that extra height in the transmitting and uh, transmitting antenna corresponds to further uh, reception range. You can hear them further. Um, the the five watt version transmits your uh, navigational information a little faster, although not significantly. It also depends on the speed of the boat. So when you're moving much faster, it sends out that data more frequently. Uh, often it will sort of at tra trawler speeds or lower it sends out a data burst about every 30 seconds. One thing that sometimes catches people by surprise is they'll see an AIS target show up on their chart plotter and it'll have only the MMSI number attached to it and not the boat name. That's the thing you just have to be patient about. The way the AIS system is designed, the uh, boat name as a piece of data gets transmitted only once every six minutes, which seems awfully long to me, but that's the way the system is designed. So sometimes when you first pick up an AIS target, all you'll see is the MMSI number. You just have to be patient and the rest of the data will fill in across time. Uh, okay, so those, those are your three transponder, that is transmit plus receive and the same device options. Class A, very expensive, no particular reason. I mean, there's no real reason for a, a looper to spend $2,000 on an AI or more on an AIS device. So you don't get any uh, corresponding benefit for spending that much more money. Uh, in terms of choosing between the two watt and the five watt, I think loopers could easily choose either one. Uh, I like the five watt version, which is what I bought, but uh, there's the perfectly good choice, completely good choice to buy the simpler, slightly less expensive two watt version. Okay, so the fourth option, would be uh, an AIS receive only system. 
where you can receive the AIS data being sent out by the vessels around you, but you're not announcing your presence. You're not sending out your own AIS data. All right, that gives you the benefit of situational awareness of those uh, AIS-equipped vessels around you, but it doesn't clue them in that you're there. So yeah, you have to live with that trade-off. Um, it does have the advantage of being a little less expensive than, uh, say, the simpler to what uh, uh, Class B uh, AIS device. Um, there are plenty of choices for receive-only devices. You can either have sort of a black box, standalone, single-purpose device that's mounted in your boat, attached to a 12-volt power, attached to a radio antenna, and connected to your chart plotter uh, in much the same way as an AIS transponder would be. Those receive-only devices uh, are a little less expensive, but not hugely so. Uh, the ones I've looked at uh, are range all over the place, $300 to about $700. Um, you can get, uh, you know, especially in the AIS receive-only side, some of them have Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. That tends to be more expensive than the ones who don't. Uh, they just come in a variety of options and price points. Um, you don't have to spend a ton of money to get a good quality AIS device. Um, you can buy AIS receive-only devices or AIS transponders from the same company that makes your chart plotter. You don't have to. Uh, AIS devices send their data out in a standard marine electronics data format. So any AIS device should be able to send data to your chart plotter, regardless of manufacturer and have it show up correctly. The thing I'd worry about maybe is if you have uh, a really old chart plotter device on your boat uh, that you're not gonna replace, uh, you know, it could be that there could be some incompatibilities there. Um, you can use AIS both with a built-in marine specific chart plotter, as well as say as with a tablet app like uh, Navionics or Aquamap. Um, if you can Wi-Fi attach uh, your uh, tablet to your marine network to get that data, it'll show up nicely on Navionics and Aquamap both. Um, I like the presentation a little better on my Ray Marine chart plotter. I like it a lot on my laptop. Uh, that photo we looked at at the start of the conversation is from uh, some PC software for navigation called Rose Point Coastal Explorer. I really like the AIS display on Coastal Explorer. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can use the data in a lot of different ways, display it in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So another option for AIS receive only would be a, uh, uh, there are a couple of choices for marine VHF radios that have built-in AIS receivers. So a single device that is a marine VHF radio with an internal built-in AIS receive only, and it has the marine chart plotter network jack on the back so that you can connect the thing into your uh, to your chart plotter. That has the advantage of uh, in one device, you get a new radio and the AIS receive, uh, one set of installation. You only have to worry about one radio antenna. It's a pretty straightforward, I mean, it's a, it's a reasonable uh, thing to do. I know of two radios, I can think of two. Um, Standard Horizon makes very solid uh, quality marine uh, electronics, marine radios. They have one uh, GX2400. Uh, I think that's a pretty solid choice. Those are about uh, 450 bucks or so. Um, ICOM, the other uh, quality solid manufacturer of marine radio 
stuff as a similar sort of radio with a little fancier display screen. It's a lot more expensive, about $850. Um, but they both do essentially the same thing. It gives you an AIS receive-only data source that you can connect to your chart plotter. That's a pretty good option. Yeah, that's good bang for your buck. So for your 450 or so for a standard Horizon GX2400 radio, you get a, a good quality new marine VHF radio and sort of the AIS re receive capability thrown in for free. Just one way kind of thinking about it. I think that's a pretty reasonable choice. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'd, I want to touch on just kind of quickly, um, a lot of times on social media, I see conversations about AIS and someone always brings up, because we talked about tablet navigation, a couple of apps that you can bring up on your smartphone or your tablet um, that I think a lot of people misconstrue or misunderstand yeah. and think that they are equivalent to AIS, but they're not. So go ahead and fill us yeah, in on that. Yeah, they're really not. So uh, I have strong feelings on, strong opinions on that subject and that those Tablet or cell phone apps are a really bad choice for navigation. Now, I will say that the really good choice for educating yourself on how AIS works, kind of what the system looks like, what kinds of data, it's a reasonable choice if you're in a very populous area like here in Galveston Bay, uh, those tablet apps produce pretty good data. Uh, but I'm still not going to use it for navigation purposes. I want to know what's actually right there near me. Yeah, the just to clarify, tablet... Robert, yeah, the Go tablet ahead. apps we're talking about, tablet apps that are meant for navigation, like Navionics and Aquamap, as you mentioned, Completely do display, they display your AIS that's coming off of your boat's network. Yes. We're talking about some apps like Marine Traffic or Vessel Finder. Right. And, and, you know, not to diss those apps they they have their place and they are designed mm -hmm. for something but they're not designed to replace the ais that's yeah, actually and, so and the at this part when we're talking about apps we're talking about let's go ahead and explain what those apps are yeah. so that we can so make the, sure the we're thing clear. about uh marine traffic or vessel finder two of the i think largest most well-known of this kind of thing is that they work off a network of volunteer shore stations, that is people who've decided out of the goodness of their heart because they're hobbyists or they like doing this stuff, to put up an AIS receiver on shore someplace. And then they feed the data collected back through the internet to marine traffic or vessel finder who then massages it and displays it. So the problems with this for navigational information are several. One is, uh, there are times when that flow of data is slower than it should be, so, so it's no longer real time. That's a problem. You want this data to be real time. You want to know where that barge string is. You, you don't want to know where it was 15 minutes ago. You want to know where it was 90 seconds ago or two minutes ago, but not 15 minutes ago. That's one problem. The other problem is because they rely on a network of volunteer shore stations, <clears throat> you're at the mercy of whether somebody has uh, put up a shore station to receive this stuff and to decide to send it off to marine traffic or vessel finder. And they're not everywhere. They have they have very good coverage. And both websites and their uh, related apps are good resources for what they are, but not for navigational information. The other problem, of course, is if you're doing this on a cell phone, you're at the mercy of your cell phone coverage. And the spot in the river where there's no cell phone coverage is because it's very rural, very, very thinly populated. So it's extremely unlikely somebody has put up an AIS receiver and is feeding that data back to um, marine traffic or vessel finder. 
So you're looking at your cell phone and you can see the chart on the app and you can see nothing on there indicating an AIS transmitting vessel. <laughs> but is that because you're no longer in cell coverage and not getting any flow of data? Is it because there are no volunteer shore stations collecting the data and sending it? Or is it because you're getting good data from a shore station and there's nobody actually there? That's a thing you don't know. That, that's what I really don't like. So um, I wouldn't even really classify marine traffic or vessel finder as better than nothing. I, <laughs> like I said, they I, have their purpose. I, I hate you know, to say that, and I really navigation. don't think they are, but, because it introduces an uncertainty about what it is you're seeing. And when you don't see anything, why are you not seeing anything? And that's the problem is you don't know. There's no way to know that whether there's no AIS targets shown in the app is because there's no data coming from that geographical territory that, uh, or is it because there's actually no barge there? Right. Uh, and so, that's exactly you know, why I wanted yeah. to uh, make sure that was clear because, you know, it, it can be a false sense yeah. of security if you're relying on that and yes. seeing nothing and there could actually be something there. They're so great. The, the other piece you... of this, of course, is mm -hmm. uh, the cell phone apps like Vessel Finder or uh, Marine Traffic uh aren't sending your data out to those other vessels. Some of them, I've seen one or two that have a way for you to send your position data into their website, but that's not the same thing as your position data being broadcast by radio, which, which is what's necessary to make that barge captain around the bend aware that you're there in the blinding rainstorm. Uh, so it, it doesn't do anything at best. It's not going to do a thing for improving commercial vessels' awareness of you um, at all. I mean, you just right. can't. Right. And it's great. Uh, they're neat the to look at. You know, if you um, you can see where vessel commercial traffic is all over the world. And if you yes. have a friend or family member that has a transmitting mm -hmm. AIS, you can likely find them on there. And in that in that purpose, you don't necessarily need the real real-time um, right. information and that's right. that's what so, they're for and i worry about people absolutely. mistakenly thinking that they're doing the same thing as is ais so yeah, i think so, they hopefully uh, have clarified let's talk that. about nebo i love nebo but it's a different mm -hmm. thing entirely so uh nebo gives you uh sort of info about other nebo users so that's a subset of boats only folks who signed up for the nebo tracking app uh, so it's not AIS, it's not sending your data out to commercial vessels, um, and it's only giving you info on other Nebo users. Uh, we, on my boat, I have a Nebo device um, to uh, to send out that position data. And, I, you know, I used it the way a lot of people did, gave it to family members who could sort of track my progress through the rivers uh, in, in my journey. Um I like checking Nebo every once in a while to make sure the boat really still is in its slip uh, in the marina. It had to, right. decided to go wandering off. I check the AIS on marinetraffic.com to make sure my vessel is still where it's supposed to be, like I think it is. Um, it's both good for those uses. AIS is certainly useful for loopers because a lot of loopers use Nebo. So it's in, in some ways sort of the default social boater app for loopers particularly with that neat feature that if you're an AGLCA member, 
and you sign up for Nebo using the same email address, right? You then get right. the AGLCA Burgee thing next to your boat on the Nebo app. And, and you can be messaged. So in my trip down the rivers, I got messaged a couple of times by people on Nebo, uh, which was why I was surprised uh, since I was doing it in the wrong season, not seeing other yeah. loopers. I mean, it's, it's fun. But it, Nebo is great. It's good for what it is, but it's not AIS. It's not going to improve your awareness of commercial vessels around you. And it's not going to help them be aware of you. And that's the thing that's really important. Having spent all that time coming down the Western Rivers and uh, in the Gulf Coast version of the ICW from Mobile Bay over to um, Galveston Bay, uh, it, it's a really comforting thing to know a couple of things. That the large vessels around you have AIS uh that they know what they're doing because they're commercial vessel uh, mariners and they're going to be very predictable and then you get someplace like galveston bay and it's just like it's craziness it's like okay these people scare the <laughs> yeah. daylights out of me because i have no idea what they're going to do yes um so, i actually in some ways felt safer among a thousand foot barge than i did <laughs> in a crowd of 30 foot you know fishing yeah. boats with guys with fishing rods and cases of beer yeah, that can be very true. Yeah. Actually, there's a presentation I give at some of our events that talks. Um, it was originally uh, kind of developed by a panel of gold loopers, and they rated some all different things for your boat, not just electronics, but as, you know, kind of a must have for the Great Loop, a nice to have for the Great Loop or kind of a luxury to have. And some of their ratings were based on the cost. And, you know, right. I'm, I'm happy to say that AIS's cost has come down significantly over the yeah. years that I've been doing this. Yeah. And because of that, AIS has kind of moved on that presentation from a luxury to a nice to have to mm -hmm. where I consider it a must have at this point. Yeah. Um, not everybody agrees and not everybody has ever agreed on what's in that presentation. Right. There right. are subjective parts about it, but certainly sure. something to really consider putting in your toolkit for the Great Loop. We're going to um, skip over how to install the AIS um, because I think most people will either hire an installer or have some kind of an idea yeah, if they're electronically just say minded. That it's, it's so yeah, give us the basics. It's fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's relatively simple if you're sort of a, a, a DIY kind of person. Right. 12-volt power, a radio antenna, and can connect to the boat's chart plotter device. AIS devices come with an internal GPS that has its own GPS antenna, which is necessary. It's an essential feature of the device. It has to have its own GPS. So that's the other thing. Uh, but it's all relatively straightforward stuff. But yeah, you can easily, you can do it yourself, or you can hire a marine electronics technician to come do it for you. It's, it can, it, if you know what you're doing, it's relatively straightforward stuff. It's not a hard install if you hire, hire somebody, for sure. Perfect. So just to wrap up, um, if we have piqued some interest in this device or this technology for some of our soon-to-be loopers, uh, tell us where can they go for some more information? So uh, a couple of places. One is, uh, if I remember right, Boat US has a video series. I think they have one on AIS, I believe. Uh, Power Squadron, now branded America's Boating Club. I believe they have a class on AIS. I'm not sure about that. I think so. Uh, I would start by uh, just doing a little reading on the U.S. Coast Guard's website. Uh, they have uh, part of their organization called the Navigation Center. So if you go, here's the Google phrase that will get you the right link is the first thing. So if you Google USCG and then NAVCEN, N-A-V-C-E-N, short for Navigation Center, and AIS, those three words together, first link will take you to the AIS pages at the Coast Guard's website. 
that will talk about sort of what AIS is, how it works, uh, give you some illustrations about uh, this, uh, what it will look like on a chart plotter, all that kind of stuff. I do like uh, Vessel Finder and um, Marine Traffic as an educational tool to help you sort of figure out how this stuff works, what it looks like, you know, that that kind of thing. I think it's you don't have to pay for an account or anything. You can just poke around in their website, look at the map. And it's sort of like looking at Google Maps or something. You can drag the map around, look at your home waters and uh, look at how vessels are distributed and how commercial vessels are distributed in those home waters where the really thickly, uh, densely trafficked areas are, where the thinly trafficked areas are. I mean, it's great stuff. I mean, may, that's a good thing. The other thing I like, uh, you can buy AIS devices lots of places. Uh, I would say a really good starting place is an outfit called Miltech uh, Marine, M-I-L-L-T-E-C-H Marine. Uh, they sell, uh, they have a strong um, product line for really all kinds of AIS devices. Uh, almost probably 90% of what they sell, it looks like, is going to be Class A, uh, sorry, Class B devices for recreational boaters. Uh, they have devices from a bunch of manufacturers. Uh, they have a lot of educational content. So even, even if you find a better price or choose to buy elsewhere, uh, uh, some time poking around in the Miltech Marine uh, website, uh, lots of educational info on there. Uh, they're really sort of a specialist in AIS devices. Uh, great, great, great resource. And it's a good place to see the range of options and to figure out, you know, if you're looking for an AIS device that has, for example, Wi-Fi as part of the AIS device itself, uh, you can sort of drill down through their uh, product pages and find just the ones that have Wi-Fi as part of the AIS device itself. Or if you want to look, look only at AIS receive-only devices, uh, you know, you have those options. You have options for manufacturers of the AIS devices. So I ended up buying uh, an AI, uh, Raymarine AIS device. Uh, the chart plotter on my boat is Raymarine. It was about the same price as anything else. And so I decided I'll just go ahead and buy the Ray Marine option. Uh, but really any uh, AIS device attached to any reasonably modern uh, chart plotter almost certainly is going to be perfectly fine because sort of the um, sentence structure, if you will, for sending this AIS data across the network to the chart plotter, th there's a standard syntax or language for this uh, that all the chart plotters know what to do with. Um, so I think you can choose reasonably uh, one from any manufacturer, but certainly one of your options will be one made by the same outfit that makes your chart plotter. And that's a perfectly reasonable choice. Uh, they're all, they're going to be at price points all over the place. So as I say, the, the Raymarine one for me was about the same price as anything else. So I chose the Raymarine one. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, personal comment, you know, one more for me. I Michael did a loop and a half aboard the perch before I joined him aboard, and he did that loop and a half without AIS. He added right. it before we left on our loop, and now he says he wouldn't be without it either. So there's a little bit of, yeah. in case we didn't entice you enough, there's a little anecdote from someone who has done it both, done a, a loop both with and without, um, and he mm -hmm. has added it to his must-have list. So. Yeah, Rob and, and I are not getting any commissions really, from any of the AIS. Yeah, right? <laughs> we promise. Right. We're just fans. And that's the way I feel about it, too, is mm -hmm. that it's, uh, I wouldn't quite say it's essential, but I would say it's extremely useful. Um, I really like being able to think uh, sort of two steps ahead about where those commercial vessels are. 
you know, and certainly in the Western rivers, a thousand foot string of barges is, is, is a thing you will see. Uh, right. And as they swing through a tight turn, they literally take it up the entire width of the river. And so being able to plan for that and plan for that before you can even visually see uh, that barge string is incredibly important. Absolutely. Robert Rice, thank you for joining us again today. We appreciate you sharing all your information. Yeah, it's been been insightful. Thank you. Okay. And to everyone who's watched and for anyone else who's watched or listened today, uh, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Great Loop Radio podcast. Until then, safe cruising. 